Welcome to another episode of Thoughts of a Techno Wizard. Uh, it is Thursday, August 25th, 8.40 a.m. 2022. And today's probably going to be a relatively short episode. Um, there's a lot I want to talk about, as usual, but a lot I got to do today. And not much time to do it, so... <laughs> I'm probably going to just do a kind of quick flyby of various thoughts and ideas I've been having over the last couple of days and call it call it a day because <laughs> I worry that I won't be able to have I won't have time to do another one of these until like Monday or something like that no Tuesday <laughs> so a lot going on just a quick recap of my life at the moment so my partner's um, birthday is coming up on the 28th so gonna be doing it up a little bit uh, this weekend so I'm very much looking forward to that <laughs> she deserves so much and I am ever so happy to give her as much as I can um, have amazing experiences together and whatnot um, so that's gonna be occupying my time this weekend um, earlier this week uh, mostly work stuff so I toured, I did another tour for another um, client that we're, 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 we're going to have, um, Delta, this time. So, going to be creating a simulation for them to, uh, showing how to de-ice planes, you know, helping train, you know, their, their, their folks on that. Uh, they already have, you know, physical training for that, but they want to be more, you know, innovative and forward-looking with all that stuff, and VR is a good way to introduce people to these sorts of things, you know, um, without spending a huge amount of resources, you know, doing it in real life. So I got to tour one of their de-icing pads and they even let me get into one of these, one of their, basically their buckets, right, where they lift you hundreds of feet in the air above the airplane and you can practice, you know, <laughs> um, uh, de-icing a plane. I mean, I just put, they just put water in the holes and I just you know was was uh, spraying the plane but that was amazing man <laughs> that I, I got to actually experience that but that did inform a lot about you know what I think the simulation is probably going to have to be like so I'm very much looking forward towards that and uh that was that was just amazing um other than that just you know more simulation stuff and figuring out different ways of communicating design stuff to our developers and artists and things like that. So that's been cool, uh, but busy. Um, been also listening to a lot of great podcasts, um, talking about, you know, how to be consistent. I think I mentioned that before. Um, there was another one about how to be, how to be, uh, goodness, goodness, how to stop procrastinating. There we go. <laughs> Um, that was really great too. So, check out the Achieve Your Goals podcast. How Elrod, he's all, he's a very funny, in, funny and interesting individual. Like, <laughs> I'm be honest. Sometimes I feel his stuff is a little cringy, as in like the way he speaks and stuff like that. Um, but he, you know, he has a lot of great information, and sometimes you need that. You know, sometimes you need that that pep type of person <laughs> stuff like that um there are moments you have to be you know critical because these types of people you know 
like the type of Tony Robbins type folks, um, they can be a bit, you know, kind of go too far in what they're, how they see the world. Um, like he showed this example from Tony Robbins about like, you know, uh, they had some thing that that was able to measure the energy of of chicken and different food products just by sticking into it. I'm like, that's that's not how you know energy works but <laughs> but okay you know uh so you have to be very uh critical sometimes when they say certain things but uh for the most part you know it's just it's just good information sometimes to hear about like goal setting um motivation uh procrastination all that stuff you know but anyways um i also started a new web fiction uh, I forgot what it's called already. <laughs> I'm, it's it's well written, definitely, and I'm sort of liking where it's going. Maybe, um, my brother told me about it, and I'm excited for it for it to get to that part <laughs> where it's like a cultivation type of no- novel, um, which I've been big into for a very long time now. Kind of Zunxia type, where people, you know, get. Get the powers. It's kind of like a. If you've never read any sort of Junction, it's kind of like Dragon Ball Z or Naruto in a way, but more focused on like um, the cultivation aspect of like training to get, gain these powers and um, fighting through different tribulations and whatnot. Just to, just to simplify it. This one is different because it's focused on like a Greek setting. Um, but the problem <laughs> here is that uh, the people who, who, who the stories focus on, um, at least to start with, are very hierarchical, very hi- hierarchical, hi- hierarchical. I don't know, but um, which is <laughs> uh, I really don't like that, of course. But that did get me thinking, uh, rethinking about some of the th- things I want to talk about today. So, um, and in addition to that. Too, before I get into this, uh, earlier this week I also got my first physical book in a long, long time, Octavia Butler book called uh, um, "Goodness." Now everything's leaving me. <laughs> Mago. Not mad. That was a really good book. Uh, dang it, man. I have the first book on my on my uh, Amazon here, my Kindle. Let me see. Cause this one, this one's definitely gonna frustrate me. Okay, there we go. Xenogenesis trilogy. So Dawn was the first one. Um, I forgot what the second one was called. So I didn't even read Dawn. I didn't know when I saw it in the library in the in the book shop. Um, they they just had the second one up there <laughs> and there's nothing on the book that tells you that this is a trilogy it wasn't until after I bought it and like I was reading into it I was like oh it's a second in a trilogy oops but it was good it was really great um, basically about um, it's not really spoilers this is the entire you know summary of the book uh, where the earth basically uh, fa- <laughs> collapsed you know they had some um, war you know, and basically destroyed the earth, but some aliens came along and um, saved saved the earth and the people. But the aliens were then controlling 
you know, who can give birth and all this other stuff. Um, and it, it, it was just, it, it's, a, it's a great book. <laughs> and, you know, they got you thinking about, like, different moral, moral uh, prerogatives and things like that. And what, re- what I really enjoyed about the book specifically is the aliens. Because they were some of the most unique, you know, aliens I've heard about in a very, very long time. Where the aliens can... I'll try not to stay too long with this, but... Where the aliens can, you know... Their entire species is focused on, you know, evolving, right? They have, like... Well, the, the current iteration of them has, like, a bunch of tentacles and... <laughs> I know, right? It's just kind of... Sorry, somebody's messing me. But yeah, tentacles. And they use these as their sensory organs. But what's crazy about it is that these sensory organs can go deep inside of you. So in order to communicate with themselves and other beings, um, at least at a deeper level, they actually penetrate inside of you um, to, like, inside your cells, right? So they can read your genetic material um, all the way down to the, the subatomic particles, for at least for adults, and so that plays a huge part in their culture, where a lot of their technology and their their culture is around um, genetic uh, modification, essentially, right? Genetic engineering, but at a way like a masterful level. So they create everything they want to create. Um, they kind of mold the evolution of things. So their ship, for instance, is itself a huge organic creature, right? <laughs> um, and they have like different parts of their different genders of their um, species, you know, male, female, and Uloi. This this kind of Uloi is it's like a um, this is, is that's the one that really you know does most of the genetic modification and all of this other stuff. But nonetheless, um, so they help the humans. Um, but the problem is that the the humans, you know. Once they did that genetic kind of study, research of the humans, they found out that humans are unfortunately have this, what they, they suffer from the great contradiction. There's a great contradiction, right? Where humans are extremely intelligent, but at the same time, they're extremely hierarchical, right? And so in the humans, you see this battle of the two, and they see that's why, you know, the humans basically almost killed themselves. <laughs> it's because of this hierarchy. Um, so... Usually, right, at least with, with themselves, when they see a new species, they create three versions, right? Um, the first is like just, or really they don't create the first version, it's just a regular. Um, this is what they do for themselves, the re- regular unaltered version. Um, the second is a genetically modified version. How you doing? Um, well, it's more of a hybrid. The second is like a hybrid, almost 50-50 between, you know, the... Uh, the uh, original species and the modifications and then the third is a highly genetically modified version right and then they let let those kind of percolate through the through the universe um so that they can survive <laughs> uh, maximize their survival and all this other stuff and their experiences um but with the humans they were just going to completely genetically modify them because of course like <laughs> if you leave them alone they're gonna kill themselves again you know um like how they found them uh, so in the stories kind of you know goes through like is this right you know all this other stuff, um, what does this look like and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I don't know how much to say because I don't want to go too much into spoilers. 
But I didn't even finish the series. I got to read the third one. So I'm super excited to do that. But nonetheless, <laughs> okay. All of that got me thinking about, you know, of course, hierarchy once again. So this Octavia Butler book was created in the 90s or maybe the late 80s, right? So one thing that I didn't like about it, especially about the first one, because I, I, I tried to go back and read the first one, but it was even more focused on this, um, you know, uh, humans are stuck between intelligence and hierarchy um, type of thing, right? And the reason why I don't like that is because as a person who's been delving deep into, you know, human history, um, you actually see that that's not true, right? This is a common kind of misunderstanding as to why so many people think hierarchy is justified, right? And this is one of the chief reasons as to why, um, as to why we have such hierarchical institutions, right? It's because it's fundamental belief that humans are that hierarchy is some you know um, natural thing, right? And it's some important part of what it means to be human what it means to be an evolved creature even but <laughs> when you do look into human history and even other animals you see that this doesn't really make any sense right hierarchy is actually one strategy among many many others right <laughs> when you look at the, uh, the animal kingdom even calling the, the animal kingdom doesn't really make sense right you hear this uh, saying like the, the the lion is the king of the jungle and stuff like that, which is completely nonsense because the lions don't live in the jungle. They cannot even survive in the jungle, right? The tiger or or, or the uh, panther, right? They're you know the ones in the jungle and they're not the king of it, right? <laughs> the lions aren't even the king of the plains, right? Yes, they're they're very good predators and all this other stuff. But, you know, they get beaten all the time by, you know, uh, freaking elephants who, if they try to, you know, mess with them or rhinos or even zebras if, they, if they're not careful, right? The zebra would kick the shit out of them. Like, <laughs> it's, it's very often where the lions will go a whole week or, or more without eating, right? <laughs> because it's hard to be a predator, um, especially in the plains. And now they're almost going extinct because thanks to us humans. So it's, it's very annoying. Um, but nonetheless, like the point is, when you look at nature, right, especially nowadays with all of the data, all of the history that we know today, we actually see that hierarchy is not some uh, inimitable part of nature, right? It's not some, um, it's not some fundamental aspect of nature. Because, <laughs> once again, different animals may uh, behave differently, right? Uh, with their own behavior, with their own kind of genetic behavior, as well as uh, different types of environmental conditions, what we see is that not all animals are hierarchical in the first place, right? Many animals are inherently, you know, egalitarian, right? Or um, they may be, you know, hierarchical in one in some conditions, but not in others, right? So it kind of flips around depending on various circumstances. And the same thing can be found from humans, right? Is that humans, you know, even though we do come from apes, and we do see that many apes are hierarchical, what we also see is that some apes are not, right? Um, and what we even are, are thinking is that our specific ancestors, right? The species of apes or whatever that we came from 
we're probably less hierarchical than any other of the apes. And that's why, you know, <laughs> we evolved the way we did. Because we were not as hierarchical or we were not hierarchical at all. And that's in, in, incredible. Like, that's an in, super important thing to recognize is that the, the entire reason why we're even here as a species, as an intelligent being, as a, a, you know, conscious agent, right? As a conscious animal is precisely because we were not hierarchical, right? And, and the more we learn about evolution, the more we learn <laughs> how, how we have egalitarianism, how we have equality to thank Right for our intelligence, for our our um, consciousness, and everything like that. So it it really irks me <laughs> when I read things that are like, oh yeah, humans are have this inherent hierarchical tendencies and all this other stuff, but that's not necessarily true. Right? Not even not necessarily, but it's it's becoming. It looks like it's becoming far further and further from the truth. And once again, I understand why, you know, people think this. Right, because when we look around, that's what we see today. But today is only you know one small you know second sliver of the the evolution of humans. Right, what we see today is can be likened to almost like the worst case scenario of not just humans but much of life on Earth, <laughs> because we live currently in a very tumultuous environment right like for instance um take the wolves right the, the whole idea of the alpha came from this one dude's study of wolves all right when he saw what he thought he saw them being um hierarchical and all this other stuff and you have this alpha and blah 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 but what he realized when he came back later is that it this only happened when the wolves were in captivity <laughs> when they were in this constrained environment, you know, there were scarce resources. There wasn't much they can do, you know. Um, there wasn't much freedom that they had and all this other stuff. And they had to create this hierarchy in order to, you know, um, survive. Or either that or, right, the, the constraints of the environment cr um, created this hierarchy. Right? So maybe, maybe they didn't have to create this hierarchy to, to survive per se. But... The constraints of the environment, right, um, optimized for a hierarchical strategy where that became possible, where that became um, even, um, even successful, I guess you can say, right? It's sort of maladaptive, you can say that too. But when he studied wolves, you know, in their natural habitat, he saw that they were far from hierarchical, right? <laughs> Where even in their kinship groups, the male was not always alpha. Or wasn't even an alpha, right? The male and female, they behaved, you know, cooperatively. And the kids, you know, uh, they were often um, protected, of course, by the parents and everything like that. But the kids would often, you know, strike out on their own. And then, you know, um, if they found success, they would keep, you know, going on their own. Or if not, they would just come back. Right? Even if they did find success, sometimes they would just come back because they wanted to. Right? Um, but often it wasn't some clear, oh, you got to get out of the house. Right? You got to get out and, and fend for yourself now. Like, no. it's It was fairly, you know, 
um, by our standards, fairly kind of uh, open, right? And so the very idea of the Alpha was only, you know, possible because of this captivity, because of this terrible, violent environment. And that's what we create today with our quote-unquote civilization, right? The fact that our the entire definition of civilization today requires some hierarchy, some quote-unquote complex um, social uh complex social organization which really just means hierarchy is utterly ridiculous it's like saying oh uh, what makes wolves you know um, civilized is if, is if they breed in captivity if we put them in a zoo <laughs> alright that doesn't make any sense same thing for us we put ourselves in a zoo we put ourselves in captivity and then say, oh, that's what civilization, that's, that's what it looks like to be civilized. <laughs> it doesn't make any goddamn sense. And it's, this is what's really unfortunate, what's really kind of sickly humorous about our so-called intelligence and conscious, consciousness, especially as a, particularly as a society, as a species, is that as far as smart as we are, we don't even understand when we put ourselves in a zoo just think about that for a second right with a super intelligent you know animal we're able to look around the world and identify things and build things and all this other stuff right understand the world and yet we don't understand when we put ourselves in a bind when we put ourselves in captivity when we shackle ourselves to this terrible environment where everything is super constrained right there's always been a a finite amount of resources but in foraging cultures and even other cultures that were egalitarian but like lived in a, a sort of urban-ish you know setting they understood that finite doesn't mean you know, oh, it's it's you know constrained, and you have to live a certain way. They understood that finite just means you have to let it replenish. Right? I mentioned this many times before. When you have a limited amount of resources, you have to ask why are they limited. When you pick that apple, right? Like here's one thing I heard from I forgot what what podcast or whatever. It was kind of like an offhand comment. It was like oh. It makes sense why humans are, why people are so short-sighted or whatever, because you know it served us when we when we were um, earlier in human in human evolution. You know when you saw some berries, like when hunters hunter gatherers saw some berries, they they ate as much as they could, right? Because they didn't know when they'd get more. But that's completely bullshit, right? Like <laughs> it's not even close to how hunter gatherers actually behaved. Even to this day, you see this. What actually happened is that when they saw that there were some, oh, there's some new berries here, they only ate as much as they could carry. <laughs> right? They filled up their little baskets and stuff like that. And then they recognized, okay, when is this, like, once they ran out, they moved on. 
didn't go chop down a tree and you know <laughs> it was no more they knew that okay you can only eat this amount of berries right yeah they would gather as much berries as they could but they wouldn't just scarf it down all in one day right furthermore they would you know look at how much can they eat today how much can they eat tomorrow so on and so forth and most importantly, once they do run out of berries in this area, they didn't go and stay in that area so they can take more berries. They moved along. And then they circled back around, right, in another season. What you see with a lot of nomadic cultures, they didn't just wander aimlessly. They often moved in circuitous routes, right? Because they knew that once you moved on from a place, over time, it will replenish. And this can't really be seen as much with berries, with, with plants. But you especially saw this with hunting. Again, hunting wasn't, you know, the main thing that they did. That's another important thing. But the point, the, the point here is that when they did hunt, they didn't kill every deer. that They, they didn't kill everything that they saw in the area. Right? They only killed a certain amount of things. They left, you know, um, the the mothers or the kids or a certain size or whatever. The buck, right? Or some bucks. Because they knew that if you kill too many, the population would not replenish. Right? And maybe they had to learn this over time, right? Maybe some of them did, you know, kill all of them every, in an area. And then, you know, they suffered. <laughs> but eventually, most of them learned that you could only kill so many and then you had to leave move on and then when you came back there would be more again right so for the longest time humans were extremely you know future future forward right they thought of the future this short-term bias this myopia was really a problem once you once you had, um, once you had, quote unquote, civilization, <laughs> right? Because, like, like I said before, once you um, start to 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 live in one place for extended period of time, you you think less about what the what it would take for you know the environment to replenish itself. And you just try to get as much as you can out of that. So you're constantly thinking, what can I have now? Right? And how can I have more <laughs> in the future? <laughs> right? So even your future thinking is geared towards, you know, this selfish desire. Right? Rather than actually, you know, thinking about the land and all this other, and other people. So I know spending way too much time explaining this again, but... All that to say that what I would really want to do is I want to create more stories around, you know, these, these actual truths of human development and human possibility. I want to create stories of, you know, egalitarian cultures, anarchistic cultures, peoples who did not act hierarchical, right, but were still advanced humans. 
So I want to create, you know, cultivation stories. Figure out how, how how would you create a cultivation story that's not, you know, completely, you know, tyrannical. Because unfortunately, even though I really enjoy, you know, the, the kind of story, it is very um, hierarchical. It's, it's inherently hierarchical, right? This idea that where the strong um, rules all, where strength was was it um, might makes right type of thing. Right. So I want to create stories where, where we tell more about you know maybe the strength of a peoples, right? To, to be innovative, to adapt, you know. The strength of peoples to, um, learn about an area. Right. I'm thinking about stories where, you're rooting for people to work together more rather than for people to. Rather than for some heroic main character, because that's another thing I'm, I'm becoming less and less enamored with as time goes on. Is this idea, this um, of a of a protagonist that is like you know the hero of everything. Like I think we as a society, particularly hierarchical society, I think a big part of why we're still so hierarchical is because in our fiction we look up to this. Cult of, cult of personality, cult, <laughs> right? We look up to this cult of personality, and we want to believe in in this heroic, you know, uh, leader, this strong man, this you know, <laughs> type of thing. And it it really erodes our thinking, right? It erodes our ability to look at the strength of every per or of every type of person. Of recognizing that human species, the human species of evolution, right? The human evolution is dependent more on the sh how many people can be their be their best selves, right? Is it depends more on maximizing the amount of people that can live up to their potential, as opposed to you know just one person. Uh, being able to be, you know, this amazing figure that all of history remembers, right? Yes, we have great people throughout history. And yes, that is cool. Yes, that can be ins inspirational. But those great people, right, would be nothing mm -hmm. <laughs> without everyone else around them. Right? Without the roads that they traveled upon. Without the houses that they lived in, without the mothers that birthed them, and all this other stuff, right? And yeah, we we say, oh yeah, of course they were right, blah blah blah. But no, <laughs> we don't think about you know all these all these side effects, right? All these side characters, <laughs> and that's I think that really feeds into this this uh, hierarchical thinking, right? This protagonist kind of mindset, right? We even have this idea. That everybody thinks they're they're the main character in the story, but I wonder if egalitarian cultures thought of themselves as such, right? I wonder if egalitarian cultures even had this idea of them being a some some so-called main character, right? Because this main character, right, this protagonist, you know, kind of outlook of yourself inherently creates a selfish. And um, egotistical mindset, right? 
where you're no longer thinking about, you know, what can you learn from everybody else and what can they learn from you in terms of, you know, um, being a cooperative species, right? Yes, you may think about that as a, as a protagonist, but you're more thinking about it in terms of uh, how can they serve you, <laughs> you know? This truck's be so loud. But yeah, um, you know, this protagonist mindset, I think, kind of erodes how, how cooperative, you know, we, we, we really should be and we can be. And then on top of all that, I want to show, you know, how, how can we create institutions or just things, right? Creation, structures um, that are inherently non-hierarchical. Right? How can how can we create distributed knowledge and things like that? Right? Where we, instead of holding up these individual institutions as you know the best thing ever, um, as signs of our civilization and of our greatness or whatever, instead, how can we create uh, distributed, I guess, institutions like kind of redefine institutions as as these decentralized things rather than centralized things? You know, what would that look like? Same thing for, you know, power. For magic abilities, for technological abilities, for resilience and all this other stuff. Like, what would it look like if we focus more on, you know, cooperative powers? Things that, that creates amazing, you know, kind of pictures or, or abilities thanks to being cooperative and thanks to working with others and all this other stuff. I don't know. Maybe it sounds corny in some ways, but I think you could also make it sound really cool. Yeah, unfortunately, I got to go. I feel like I didn't share as many ideas as I really wanted to. <laughs> Spent a little bit too much time talking about uh, history. but I love that stuff, man. Um... So yeah, hopefully I have some time next time to uh, discuss some more ideas of what the world can look like in a more egalitarian kind of setting, how human evolution can be awesome and even more potent, you know, in an egalitarian kind of idea, how we can redefine the idea of civilization uh, without hierarchy, how we can create more stories of where people get excited for, you know, being cooperative for teamwork, for <laughs> um, diversity, even diversity and and background and thought and all this other stuff. How we can show that um, even like the idea of diversity, like I think, oftentimes when people hear, oh, diversity in thinking, right? That means you should, you know, help have people that are, you know. Uh, right-wing thinkers or like stuff like that but no because what people don't realize is that it's yeah i'm going off on a tangent real quick but this is super relevant but the problem with quote-unquote right-wing thinking right authoritarianism is that it necessarily right does not allow any other type of thinking right and you you know this if you have any sort of egocentric narcissistic person in the room like an authoritarian type of person, their entire belief 
is that they shouldn't have to listen to you unless you have more authority than them, more power, right? And so that necessarily means that you can't have a room of diverse people where everybody's, you know, thoughts and, and ideas get heard because the authoritarian person thinks, oh, no, none of these thoughts and ideas matter unless, you know, um, <laughs> I, I deem them as some sort of authority or power, powerful figure, right? So we have to also be careful about what we mean by by that, right? When we create a a story or a um, team, right? Where goodness, the noise of this garbage truck really was throwing me off. <laughs> but yeah, we have to be careful when we when we're creating stories or teams. Um, when we want to, if we want to give a focus on this idea of egalitarianism, right? On the power that everybody has and the power what i mean by that is like the abilities the skills what everybody can bring to the table right we have to be careful about that because if we introduce if we focus or if we introduce right an authoritarian figure in there right then often almost inevitably that story or that team will be weighted towards an authoritarian you know kind of mindset I believe you can have people who are, you know, conservative or whatever. That's not the same thing as authoritarian. It often is, but doesn't necessarily have to be. And as I've stated many, like a, a long time ago at this point, a couple months ago, I think. I think a greater, a greater kind of purpose or, you know, definition of conservatives could be, you know, people who care about tradition. Who, who think about, okay, what's good about, you know, our, our traditions, our cultures and everything like that? And how can we, you know, bring this into the future, right? If we can have that sort of mindset without the authoritarian bent to that, the, the authoritarian, you know, oh, you can only do this unless you can only live on the, you know, if you do this tradition. You're only good. You're only, you know, relevant or you're only, you know, um, you can only continue into the future, if you follow, you know, what I say, if you do what I say, if you, you know, do what we've always done, right? Because that doesn't really make sense. You can't move forward <laughs> at all if you're just doing the same things over and over again. But there is a huge importance, right, to people who know history, to people who care about the status quo. Um, well, I don't want to say the status quo. I will say traditions, once again, right, cultural values. Because that's another thing, right? We have to be careful to to remove the um tradition from the status quo because the status quo once again is is more this idea of a, a, an authoritarian kind of top down oh this is how you should live because everybody else lived it no <laughs> you know every generation is a new generation so every generation has a new opportunity to think do they want to continue these traditions like what's important about these traditions why do i want to continue versus what's new right what can i do now right what's what can i what can i not do now right what has changed you know all this other stuff so i think we can have that balance we can have that diversity in thought in terms of conservatism meaning actually conserving you know the traditions versus liberalism you know wanting new things but only only if you balance the or rather if you have this equality and freedom and thought right only if you have this this uh balance in 
everybody having a say and everybody having not just a say but real power and what they can do with that say right yeah sure everybody can say everything like freedom of speech whatever but freedom of speech doesn't really mean anything unless you can back that up unless you can say oh you know i don't want to live this life so i'm not going to (laughs) right in today's society you can't really do that if you say i don't believe in these laws you can't not live under you know the 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 laws of the land because you have this hierarchy (laughs) you have the authorities that are like oh no you didn't follow this rule here's a boom you know here's a fine here's a you know, go to jail. Here's violence, <laughs> right? And this is what people don't understand: is that you can have, you know, traditions and conservatism and all this other stuff without authority. And that's something I I also want to like create more stuff around, more stories around, more more ideas around, to get people realizing that, you know, just because you are conservative or just because you want to believe in traditions and this, that, and the other, doesn't mean you have to be an authoritarian about it. And in fact, being an authoritarian about it will often destroy your traditions. Because inevitably, right, you're going to have people who fight against it, <laughs> who don't want to be controlled, who don't want, you know, your authority. And if that authority was, you know, the stronger that authority is, the stronger that rebellion will be, the stronger the revolution will be. The stronger the the the, the uh, violence against it, the retribution will be, and then most of your history gets wiped out. Right? <laughs> happens every single time. Every single empire throughout history has had this happen. All right. As much as we know about the Greeks and Romans, we don't know a lot. We don't know as much as we should about their traditions, about their daily life. About you know what was actually good about the traditions, traditions and so on and so forth. We don't know much. As much as we base so much of our you know institutions around what we think is good, what was good about them, most people don't know anything about their you know <laughs> actual values. And I think a lot of that is because of this the, the fight against you know the kind of clapback, if you will, against that um, tradition those traditional values. So um, I really think and hope that we can create more stories and ideas and whatever else around, you know, these, these more nuanced uh, thoughts, these more nuanced approaches. So, yeah, I hope I can do that. And uh, as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for what? Uh, yeah, listening. <laughs> thanks for thinking with me. And um, let me know what you think, as always. And, uh, yeah. Don't be afraid to be revolutionary. Don't be afraid to be radical. Keep being awesome. See you. Bye-bye.